Hello, this is Geraldine Quinn with a quick pre-podcast announcement. First, an apology for the delay. I genuinely wasn't expecting one of the most important people in my life who I didn't personally know, David Bowie, to pass away so suddenly. It was frankly pretty balls and it made an already tricky January in terms of the amount of stuff I had to get done, not only tricky but really hard to keep going with. Uh, By the way, I would use stronger language to describe David Bowie dying, but I haven't yet given you the second part of my pre-podcast announcement. So, secondly, today's episode contains some sweariness quite early in the piece. Oh, also, before we started recording, I was explaining to Gillian how I had recently got into an argument with someone on the internet about Lolita and whether the author should have been telling the female side of the story. Great! That's done. Now let's crack on, shall we? Hey there, cats and kittens, and welcome to episode eight of Bang on the Strillers, the cabaret podcast. As if there is any sort of consensus on what cabaret is. Are you kidding? This episode features the first half of a conversation with singer-songwriter Gillian Cosgriff. Yes, we talked for ages. I'm going to get two episodes out of this one. She came to my tiny little spinster castle just a bit after Christmas and marvelled at my enormous bookshelf. That's not a euphemism. Yes, we uncovered Gillian's adoration of Gone with the Wind, how Mad Men would have been better if just two people in the office wore the same colour at the same time, the brave little toaster, whether art has a responsibility to the audience beyond existing, while libraries are great, and Rhett Butler's penis. Enjoy! So the issue, and I might, again, I've started, but we, this is how usually my podcast just started yeah, talking balls. <laughs> so the issue I've got with Don Draper in Mad Men is also, I suspect, what the point is in that it's yep. it's a man's story. Mm. So I understand this person I'm getting about, Lolita, <laughs> um, on one hand, but on the other hand, that's a question of producing more female stories. Whereas mm. if you compare it to True Detective, th- that was... Yeah. I couldn't. Everyone was like, just keep watching. They're like, when you get to episode four, there's this amazing long, just it's all one shot at the end and that'll blow your mind. And I watched it and I was like, yes, one long shot and I'm done. I just, I got really bored with it. Well, my big issue with it was I get again, that's a man's, this Mm. is a man's story and men have stories as well, but you don't need to make all your women into prostitutes or... Like mm. And, like, we didn't even find out what Woody Woody Harrelson's character was so awful. And I was talking about this with a man the other day and he's like, oh, yeah, he was vile. Yeah. Um, like, like the approval of one male means that everything I'm about to say is justified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how this works. <laughs> that's how it works, isn't it? That's how the world works now. But, um, but it was... His wife. We didn't find out what his wife did for a job at all. Like on The Bachelorette. Yeah. What? (laughs) What? They never mentioned her job. All the men (laughs) was like, I'm this. Here is my occupation, which defines me. And she was like, I'm sad on a beach again. I'm single. (laughs) I'm beachy single. Yeah. Look at my knit. Look at my ripped jeans. Well, you maybe didn't get this far, but the only time we found Mm. out what uh, his wife did was when he uh, confronted her at work. spoilers? Do you need to be declaring? You never get to watch the no, I'm not, but... True Detective. Oh, <laughs> there might be a spoiler for True Detective. It's not really. The spoiler is you find out what her job is. He confronts <laughs> his wife at her job and she works in a hospital. 
right? So Great. she works in a hospital. He's a police officer. Do you think they'd ever have maybe a conversation about something other than whoever he's fucking? <laughs> no. I mean, it sounds like she's got a pretty hard job, Yeah. whatever she does at the hospital, and they didn't specify if she was a doctor or a, a nurse or in palliative care or like I don't, it doesn't matter. Mm. They're all really hard jobs. Yeah. And yet all that she could do when she got home was scowl about whether or not he was fucking someone else, you know. It's just, uh, just what, like that, that's when you've got a point to mm. say, can we see some other sides to things? Yeah. Even if it's a man's story, I get it, but not. It's, it sounds like you're agreeing with internet lady to I'm me. not agreeing <laughs> with, I'm not, I'm not, I'm really not because she's, she's, that's a different, that's a different thing. Like, you can't flesh out the character of Lolita in the book Lolita because the only person telling you the story is Humbert Humbert. There's no one else telling you the story. It's in the Mm. first person. You've only got his word for it and he's sitting in a jail cell, you know. Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) a book that's how old? 50 years old? More, I think. Um, You had a lot of time to read it, okay? And you didn't want spoilers. (laughs) It does start with him in the jail cell, so it's not that, that's not much of a surprise. But but you can't do it. You can do it in a television series, though. Mm. You absolutely can. Um, In fact, that's kind of what teleplays do. Through tell you, you know, in the mm. in the you know, in a generic kind of general dramatic sense, that's what they do. They tell other different people's stories from different perspectives. Maybe, I guess so. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think whether True Detective is being told from the perspective of those two men. Well, Life on Mars. Have you seen Life on Mars? I haven't, mate. Oh, it's brilliant. Um, it's on the. I looked over at my old-fashioned DVD shelf there, which must. That's not old-fashioned. That's, that's an IKEA Billy. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was referring to the fact that I had a DVD collection oh. as old-fashioned. You youngsters. <laughs> I have DVDs. My boyfriend keeps trying to make me throw them out, but I've oh. still got them. I got boxes and boxes of videos at my mum oh, and dad's house. My sister. My sister collects VHS <laughs> tapes. Specifically Disney, specifically the obscure Disney's like the Brave Little Toaster. What? She loves it. She just moved to Canada. She put almost all her possessions in storage and she's in Canada and she calls me and she's like, Jill, guess what? I went into this op shop and I got Beauty and the Beast on VHS. And I was like, you already have that. And she goes, wait, it's in French. (laughs) She doesn't even speak French. (laughs) Why do you need this? That's probably how she'll learn French from watching Disney's Beauty and the Beast on VHS. Hang on, is there? She's the greatest. Is there... Is there... The what little toaster? <laughs> the brave little toaster. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's a Disney movie that you just don't know about. And it she is. bought it on VHS <laughs> on the internet and I came home one day and she's like, Jill, I just watched it and it's so funny. She's like, the toaster is so cool but the blanket is such a bitch. And I was like, why is there a blanket? She's like, oh, no, it's an electric blanket. I was like, how does – that doesn't They're make more sense. They're not in the same room. No. No. The ones in the linen press, maybe the bedroom if yeah. it's winter. I think this is an idea that all electrical appliances are friends. <laughs> In the magical world. Obviously, yeah. it's not a popular... And then they join together <laughs> to bring down mankind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the, it's the very early beginnings of the singularity. When was it made? I don't know. It would be before, like, the golden age. I guess it would be, like, 60s, 70s. Maybe a bit was... earlier. Maybe at a time where, like, having a toaster was, like... Sorry, do you think the golden age of Disney is, what, the 90s or the 80s? I do, yeah, I do. So you're going over Bambi and Snow White and Sleeping Beauty. Snow White is the most unbearable princess. 
Yeah, but the Queen's pretty great. Yeah, the Queen, of course, the villains are all great. Yeah. Yeah, we are, just, we are mostly in agreement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unless it's Humbert Humbert, in which case, you know, the villain's pretty awful. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> So to explain, if anybody's listening, um, I've got into a Facebook discussion with somebody about the premise of Lolita, the book by uh, Vladimir Nabokov, and and we're not in agreement and I don't think there's any way out of it and we're just going to have to break up. So it's, I'm not going out with that person. Oh. I just, that was, <laughs> I was like, there's a whole other subtext you, to this that I did not realise. You, you're going, she's gay and so she's confused. got a partner. What? <laughs> but only Gosling. on the internet. <laughs> that's fine. It's 2015. You do what you like. No, well, that's how, that's how I got, um, I ended with my agent was we both kind of got to a point where I described it as breaking up. We just broke up because oh, yeah. we just both went, this isn't working. No, it's not. And then. <laughs> that's how I describe all agent management ends it's like a sort of a i always describe them as i'm like no no i have to break up with him this mm. is the worst mm. Mm. it's the same sort of oh mm. no i don't want to make i don't want to make the comparison i don't want to make the comparison to the relationship between a client and the agent and to what should be a trusting loving relationship between two consenting human beings as opposed to some kind of satanic pact <laughs> to get work <laughs> who, who are your agents i don't have one <laughs> Well, this suddenly becomes clear. <laughs> um, I think it's very similar. You think you both want something from the other person. Oh, man. Big time. <laughs> Mostly just love. Just All right. So it's – so the, the – the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The currency mm. is, is love and or sexual uh, interest um, in one and the other one is um, 15%. Yeah. 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 That was a good opportunity for me to set up a joke, but I couldn't. It's early. It's fine. It's kind of early. I was I was performing <laughs> last night, so I'm surround. I'm currently at my end of the table, surrounded by makeup brushes. Did you do the upfront gala last year? Yeah, I was. Okay. I was hosting. Do you know how it. I know because you have all the same free benefit products that I yeah. have. Yeah, yeah. Well, this was a free one, but I bought this one. That's very good. I like that one. That's their primer. It's yeah. fantastic. We're hoping I can get a sponsor for the podcast because <laughs> it's costing me a fortune. Oh man. Um, yeah, no, I do. That's the best one I've I've used. Mm. I don't use it for every day though. You don't need much at all. No. I really can't leave this it's in. This great. is dreadful. No, it's product placement, like nothing else. <laughs> yeah, but it's that's great. how I found out about it, which is the whole point of being. Yeah. A I got so excited. I never got any free stuff before. I was like, well, that's only in the last a small child. Two years? Like oh, it was yeah. this year and the year before. Yeah. So you didn't do it the year before, I think. No, I've mm. only done it once. It was terrifying. Really? I mean, it was exciting, but it was it was terrifying. Oh, because I, I was like just walking to a room full of women that I'm like, hello, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I went and got my makeup done because they would do your makeup for yeah. you, which nobody else was doing. The best bit is that I was sitting there <laughs> and Josie Long came running into the room. Who I love, mm. who I listen to. Heaps of things she does because I think she's fantastic. She's very smart. And she came lady. running in and she went, Guys, I, I bit on a pen. I've got ink in my mouth. Can anyone help me? And she opened her mouth and it was just blue <laughs> because she was sucking on this pen and she got ink everywhere. And then I got to dab at her mouth with a tissue like a weirdo. So, very exciting. <laughs> 10 out of 10 would do again. Oh, God. Yeah, up front's the, um, the annual all female lineup. I think I've done 16 now. Might be up to the seventeenth. That's that's a lot. That's great. Oh, I haven't done that many. Oh, I thought you said I. Have. No, I was like, no. we as in the the um the the it has existed the 
Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I think that's up to the 16th. I think we did the Sweet 16th like last year or the year before. Mm. Um, and we've been very lucky, me and my bandmates, to host it for the last... Oh, three years. Yeah, great. Three years, yeah. So it is, it's really great. But it does mean we, I don't get to have those little moments backstage because we're all running around going, what yeah, the fuck's the next the thing? Transition. <laughs> <laughs> so why are you obsessed with um, Gone With The Wind? Oh, I, w- I wouldn't say obsessed. I would say I love it. Um, my Oh, sorry, that was, my, that was wrong no, of me okay. to make that absolutist and that's hyperbolic a, presumption. Okay. What's your fascination with Gone With The Wind? I... I just, my mum really built it up for me when I was younger and she was like, it was this thing like, we're going to have a whole Saturday afternoon where we watch Gone With The Wind, which is how long you need because it goes for 12 hours. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I just really liked it. And then I, I just, I read the book and the book is huge. I know. I, I've been looking at my bookshelf. Keep talking because I've got to find mm. something for you. Keep going. Um, yeah, I read that and then my mum had Scarlet, which is like the, like the, um, the sequel written much, 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 much later yes. by a different writer where I she goes to Ireland. That, I remember when that came out. Mm. And, oh. I, like, my family is very Irish, so I kind of – I just loved that. And, and then years and years later, somebody wrote Rhett or, like, <gasps> Rhett Butler's People or something. I thought you said Rhett Butler's Penis, but that's <laughs> probably wishful thinking. It's not so much a book as it is an extreme fold-out drawing. Uh, no. Yeah, and that was fantastic. I kind of like the idea that you can create, uh, like, um – a sneaky backstory to a, an old story that exists. But I suppose I only like that idea when I like the sneaky backstory. Otherwise I would be like, you can't do that. Don't mess did, with this. Did you read? Yeah, that's true. You mm. do have, the, you get very attached to things. I think it's like when somebody it does any adaptation of anything. It's like, don't ruin mm. it. But did you, did you read Scarlet? Oh yeah. I read all of them. I love them so many times. So they, they stand up with comparison to Margaret Mitchell's original. I mean, look, I was like 16 when I was reading these yeah, okay. and I don't have the critical thought background <laughs> of one Jordan Quinn. Um, I was I was bleating before we started recording about my, my literature background because I was I was pulling rank basically on no, the but it's good. on the Facebook woman. I was kind of like, does she have any idea? I've actually written <laughs> I've written I got a high distinction on my paper on Lolita. She's got no idea. I really did. I, uh, I scored, scored quite highly. It's very impressive. <laughs> anyway, um, so you've read them and you were, you was just it, I just really like them. I just I used to read so much. When I was younger, and now, like, I'm looking at your bookshelf in just envy and oh. sort of guilt because. But Cosgrove, there's still stuff. I feel like I need to sit down mm. and and go. Okay, let's let's make a shelf of what you haven't actually got all the way through, mm. and make yourself read it. And I haven't done that. I'm looking there at a book that uh, I really enjoyed starting, and haven't finished. <laughs> Um, oh no, I finished that one. That was a different Jennifer Egan. I got I, I read a visit from the Goon Squad and really loved it. Thank you to the friends of mine that recommended it. Are you in this? I'm in that one. Yeah, I'm in that Women of Letters. This it's one of my letters. songs. Oh, great! Um, oh, so many mates. But like, I was talking to Alan Bro last night about uh, Madame Bovary because we were talking about the Anna Karenina adaptation that had been on Australian television. Oh, what yeah. was it called again? Uh. Is it a beautiful like, with Russell yeah. Fletcher's son? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but I've heard good things. I haven't watched it either. And I actually haven't read Anna Karenina. Me either. I, in fact, I've read no Tolstoy. No, me either. No. I tried to read War and Peace when I was about 14. Because you feel like you should have. Yeah, but do you know why I didn't read it? Because I used to always read on the bus because I'm from Brisbane. So I was on an hour-long bus trip to and from uni or school. Mm. And it was too big to fit in any of my bags. Oh, no. I started getting a sore shoulder, so I stopped reading. Well, because I studied literature, that was a perennial problem for yeah, me. I'm sure it was. <laughs> but usually it was terrible. kind of... You've got this amazing degree and scoliosis. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. So, laughs> I do. <It's> <laughs> Transition. 
The other thing I kind of learned was, and I think this was from reading Dickens. Mm. So, so we were chatting about Tolstoy, and I was saying, I wonder why no one's tried to do an adaptation of Madame Bovary. Um, and I was talking to Casey as well. Casey Benedetto's name comes up in almost every podcast, and I still haven't actually. <laughs> Freakishly well-rounded. I, I, I watched an old Spicks and Specks episode. I was at my parents' oh, last yeah. week. And this <laughs> track comes on and it starts and all you can hear is like the crowd clapping yep. and there's one guitar strum and he buzzed in and he goes, it's Bob Dylan, it's this concert. Yeah. At, at uh, like 28 yeah. seconds someone yells out, Judas, and it's because he hasn't plugged in his guitar. Mm. He just... It's because he wasn't using. He was he a, just knows so electric guitar, things. not acoustic. Yes, mm. see, you, of course, you know these things too. <laughs> Very impressive. It was Manchester. All I know about is just like think, terrible Disney films. I think it was Manchester, sister. but now I want to know. But but you've you've taught me about the toaster. You know about the brave little toaster now. So you're welcome. I'm still good. I'm so going to look that up. <laughs> it's so bizarre. Transition. But yeah, yeah. But we were having a chat about the fact mm. that. Um, that a lot of these adaptations depend upon um, structures that just don't exist anymore. So the stakes mm. are based on status structures that mm. we don't have. So it can be quite problematic to... Do you mean like class structures? Yeah. 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 So so um, the fact that, you know, he, that's what Casey was going to talk about, the fact that he could in the book have refused her a divorce and taken her son because of the way that society worked at that time mm. means that the stakes are a lot higher and it's difficult to replicate that in a modern adaptation with a I lot mean, of I mean, there are cultures where that's still that's true. feasible. That's true. but th- And that's actually what I said. It's like, well, maybe if they'd done it as, as this, that mm. might work. And it's, yeah, but they didn't do that. So, so it, is a, it is an interesting thing whenever people do adaptations of really classic stories because you've got mm. to look at those stakes. Yeah that may not have an equivalent now. I watched, we had to do um, scenes from Macbeth when I was in second year at uni yep. and I watched this amazing BBC adaptation of Macbeth that I was like, oh, I get it now because I could just never get on board. I was just like, I don't understand. I don't understand why you even wanted to kill. This seems so stupid. And this adaptation is James McAvoy as Macbeth and oh. uh, it's set in a um, a very high up restaurant in London, like a like a three, two or three hat, whatever the hat system is, or Michelin stars or something. Yeah. And so Duncan is the head chef, but he doesn't do anything. Oh. And so James McAvoy is the is the sous and the resident, so he prepares all this food, but Duncan's getting all the credit, and then he promotes his son over Macbeth. And Macbeth's wife, Lady Macbeth, she's the um, hostess of the restaurant, so she runs all the front of house. It just, I was just like, oh, thank God, this makes so much sense now to just see you know, the stakes and and I like Lady Macbeth, which I know is messed up, but I just do like her no, because it's not. Cause she loves it so much and she's so frustrated that he's not getting recognised for his work. There's this amazing scene in it where the critics who give out the big Michelin stars or whatever they are come in for dinner and James McAvoy's in the kitchen, he's sweating it out and he's dealing with um, Macduff who's like this useless apprentice son who's going to get brought up and he doesn't know what he's doing and everyone's got burns and there's soup everywhere. It's great. And they get to the end of this stressful service and they've managed to make it work. And um, Lady Macbeth comes into the kitchen and she looks at Macbeth across the kitchen and she goes, the critics want to speak to the chef. And he goes to step forward and Duncan, he's like filthy chef uniform from service. And Duncan, the head chef, steps out from behind him in the office in his pristine whites. And he goes, great, let's go then. Ah. And then Lady Macbeth does this amazing thing where she goes, wait a minute. She's like, it needs to look like you cooked. And she goes over and she just dips her hands in this soup and it's red soup, obviously. And she just wipes it down the front of his white chef uniform. It's amazing. (laughs) It's so good. But it's such an, it's an adaptation that I was like, 
oh, this like everything is clear now mm. in a way that it just couldn't. And I'm not my Albert Shakespeare. Like I could, you know, have a fairly good grasp of it, but that just made such a huge difference. Well, it's a it's a short play, and it's often mm. you know people look at it in high school because it is. Um, yeah, well, it's it's kind of it's kind of sexy in and um and it's got witches yeah. and it's got you know nearly moving forests, but not really. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> if you haven't read Macbeth yet, <laughs> yeah. you might want to switch off. It's got ghosts. <laughs> um, yeah. So and. It, and it's probably, is it probably, I don't know whether it's less complex than any of the other kind of, I mean, it's not really a history play. He did exist, mm. but it's not really, a, it's a tragedy. It's one of the tragedies. But, like, I love Richard II. Mm. I absolutely love Richard II because he was such a tit and and he, in the, in the book, um, and he kind of realises it at the end that he's lost. But the difference is that even though he got usurped by his cousin because he was being doing a really rotten job of being a king mm. and had tons of favourites and he, he nicked his cousin's land and, and gave it away to because he just went, I'm the king, I can just do anything. Did you see the amazing War of the Roses uh, production? Uh, no. Oh, my God. It's yeah. a few years ago. You have to go and see two sessions. So it's four four of the histories all together. Yeah, so... And so the whole Richard, opening one, Richard II, Kate Blanchett plays Richard II. Yeah, well, Fiona Shaw did it about 15 years oh, ago great. in London. I saw that. I saw her and Jonathan Cake, I think it was, and it was... Oh, man. And yeah. Pamela Ray plays Richard III. And for the whole first oh. play for Richard II, there's just for nearly the whole thing, Kate Blanchett's sitting on this gold throne, centre stage, yeah. and there's just gold glitter falling for the yeah. entire... yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, but he still gets to the end and goes, you know what, no matter what happened, I'm I'm kind of divine right king and you yeah. fuck that. <laughs> and you're never going to get away from that. Yeah. And he's sort of right. And that speech in, he's in the tower before he's he's murdered, again, spoilers, <laughs> is, is, is great because it's um, he sort of his redemption comes through his self-realisation and I think that that's... Um, do you know what? I'm going to say something fucking profound. That's <laughs> I just myself. That okay. is 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 something that I don't think we, in our current era of um, calling people out, allow people as much anymore to have a redemption through self-realisation. Mm. It's just punishment yeah. more so. Uh, and it's very... Unless you're like an AFL player, in which case, fine. Yeah, no punishment. <laughs> Ooh, political. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's everything I know about AFL. Full stop. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I don't know nothing. You're in trouble, but you're not really in trouble. <laughs> Uh, it's all right. Smack on the wrist. Take these supplements <laughs> off your pop. <laughs> it's vitamin C. It's good for you. So this is what I got up to, to show you before, which oh, yeah. might make your little brain explode. Oh, wow. It's a German language version of Gone with the Wind. But it's got the movie cover. It does. So I reckon, have a look on the inside. I think it's... Uh, I think it's the 30s. Oh, my God. This should be. A, oh, she's so beautiful. Oh, she was. Like painful, but also mean, beautiful Ooh. and mean, like Diana Ross. It's mm. great. I love it. Uh, so a year? 1937. 37, there you go. That's amazing. 
Mm, that's wicked. I can't read German, but anyway. one day. I haven't read in English, so that's a good. You could sell that for like good money. Vom Winderwerf. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I'm really sorry. If my drummer Sonia listens to this, who's German, then I'm sorry about that pronunciation. Yeah, possibly, but why would I? It's kind of great. It is great. And sometimes I think about those things and I just like go, oh, but where are going to end up? I found an amazing, um, to me, 1930s print of Evelyn War's Vile Bodies. Now, it was a hardcover and it had a really amazing illustration on it. Um, beautiful kind of that uh, Art Deco, Art Nouveau, I can't remember which one. Nobody punched me. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. I'll look it up later. You're going to get punched. Oh, I'm going to get You're punched. You're going to get punched so hard. Oh, I don't want to get some punched. some historian. Um, Fortunately, it will be with a flimsy wrist, so you'll be fine. I have, have. <laughs> I have actually got to a discussion with somebody about Art Nouveau versus Art Deco and they were quite cross that I didn't know the difference and I feel a bit bad. <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, and, and the, the cover was coming apart though. The mm-hmm. cover was coming apart a little bit and I foolishly, I gave it to somebody who I was dating at the time thinking they'd appreciate it and they, I don't think they did and I'm pretty sure they threw it out and I've always kind of thought I should have hung on to that because Evelyn Waugh is one of those authors, I've got everything, I've mm. got like, four copies of the loved one or something like ridiculous oh, wow. um no i'm not loaning one to you but, <laughs> <laughs> but like, okay. i have so much to do i can't read the, any books all these, right now all these different oh, you really do yeah uh, like different penguin designs of, great. that's wicked yeah that's a whole series that one that design um but like he's another one of those authors who he's I hate to use this word anymore, but it used to be a really useful word, but now it's just oh overused. But he's problematic to read now in a lot of ways mm. because uh, I don't I don't know whether people I don't know why people think it's an ex, you're excusing something if you mm. if you are saying it needs to be read in in its time because I feel a little bit like the the readers got some responsibility in the critical reading of a book and what they yeah. bring to it um, because otherwise, oh, I don't know how to say that, but, you know, otherwise you're not very far away from somebody just censoring things and going, well, you can't read that because some one person might take that this way. Mm. And I get a bit concerned about some of the rhetoric that's going around now, that it suggests that slightly Orwellian I don't want to say fascist. <laughs> I feel like you do want to say fascist. I don't want to. I do, but I don't want to godwin myself. But I think I just did. Transition. To, to think that we can only read anything that's supporting. A, oh, no, this is really no, difficult. But this is what I think I should shut up now. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in an area where I am not really able to hold my own. So this has been very nerve-wracking for me. I'm like, yeah, mm, yes, that, that book that I know about. Yes. No, but good. it's the same with anything. Yeah. It's the same with anything. It's the same with, um, well, like you were talking before about, um, I don't think I'll let you finish actually, about Dogfight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just. So explain what it is. Oh, Dogfight is a musical, mm. but it's based also on a film of the same name. It's the film that I've seen, not yeah, the musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, Which is yeah the musical's only a few years old. So it's about a bunch of guys that have, uh, I think they're either soldiers or Navy, I can't remember which, and they go through all their training and then the show is set sort of the night before they're about to fly out to Vietnam for the first time and they have a dogfight, which is a party where everyone has to try and bring the ugliest girl and whoever brings the ugliest girl wins the pool, wins all the money. Um, and I, I enjoyed the show and I enjoyed the music and stuff like that, but I also am really conflicted by this idea of presenting something the way that it used to be without commenting on it. 
Mm. You never want, I mean, you never want to present something in a way that's too sort of luxury or, you know, kind of sermonizes a point because that I could just go to church if I want to be told all the ways that things are wrong. <laughs> um, but it is interesting to present something like we were talking about with Mad Men that just goes, hey, look at this. But doesn't ha- it relies so much on the audience member to have critical thought and to, um, to question it. And I suppose my concern and probably your concern in regards to something like Lolita is looking at people that may read it at face value and be like, oh, this is fine. Yeah, and I think, <laughs> I think my, I, I've just started watching Mad Men and I'm only two and a bit series in and some of the things that are annoying me are, are actually to do partly with it's not, it's kind of not dirty enough. Mm. Everyone's the same. Like, like I made some comment online the other day. It's like, God, do they just ring each other up and make sure no one's wearing the same shade of blue? Because <laughs> every time you look at the office, everyone's in a completely different palette, outfit. Yeah. <laughs> and just going, that some of these girls would be making their stuff at home. Yeah. Um, you know, like, it, yeah, the costumes are amazing. But I'm pretty sure if I talk to my mum, uh, the, the, I mean, I just want to see some different... I want to see some misses. I want to see some solid 60s misses. Like, what do you mean? Like, not hits. I, I don't want to see, like, a perfectly pleated... I want to see, like, a top that makes your nipples, like, stick out weird. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I know it's television. I know that we're all beautiful. But it's also worth considering that there was some terrible fashion in this time. And why is that not getting airtime? You know what I'm saying? Well, it's very... Well, it's what, early 60s, so it's just coming out of the 50s. Um, so the first series is 1960, so we're still very, we still haven't got to that kind of bit where people are running around in PVC with you know, squares printed on it. Yeah. But, um, but one of the things about Life on Mars, the television series that I really liked, we're talking about perspective. Mm. Number one, the issue of, of, of um, perspective is interesting in that because you're not quite sure how much of this is in Sam Tyler's head. So he, you know the basic premise of it? No, I don't know the series it? at all. I'm not going to spoil anything for you by okay, saying great. he's like um, not oh like gosh, Richard II. Nah, I've ruined. ruined. <laughs> Never going to read it. <laughs> well, uh, I think it's 2000. And, I can't remember what year, but 2000 and something. And he gets in. A, he's a police officer, and he gets in a car accident, and he wakes up in 1973. Oh, I have heard of this. Yeah, yeah, great. So, so what was difficult in terms of the perspective with that with that teleplay, which is I can't not say it as teleplay, even though that's actually the word for the script for a television show, uh, is that he has to see everything. Because you mm. don't know if it's that first person thing. You don't know if he's imagining it or not. So you can't ever have a scene that he's sort of not in, mm. which is incredibly difficult, massive challenge for the for the writers. I think there's one episode where he's at home ill, hallucinating, and you get to see things through a television, but you're still not sure if it's a dream or whatever. Mm. But the other thing about it that was I thought was really interesting was the fact that um, it was the writers and the designers made a really deliberate choice in that they didn't want one of those shows which was, oh, this is what the 70s was like, isn't it clean and lovely and this, when it wasn't. Mm. So they were trying to show how grimy and what wasn't there and, you know, there there were power cuts and there were, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a great happy time. Like when you look at, say, if you did something about 1970s New York would be very interesting because the city nearly went bankrupt, you know. There was Mm. an incredible amount of trouble. There are elements of that I'd like to see yeah. in, in Mad Men. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. We don't have to see it all the time. I know we're in shiny advertising world, but... Maybe that's what advertising world is like. Maybe we're just missing out. Maybe. Maybe we've just been idiots and picked terrible jobs and we could have been, <laughs> we could have been wearing the best outfits all the time. <laughs> Transition! 
what's the responsibility of the of the practitioner and what's the responsibility of the audience with that? Yeah. Comedy is a great example of that. Mm. I've watched somebody do a set which was so distasteful but I kind of understood that they were making themselves very low status in the whole thing as well, that they were just as bad a person as all the other bad things that they were doing in the story. Yep. But the audience was not getting that. Yeah. And also, but I've watched people do sets that are extremely distasteful, very offensive, and watched an audience enjoy it and (laughs) stood at the back of the hi-fi and hated the audience for enjoying this awful man. Oh, I'm still mad about it. I'm still mad about it. I stood there with my friend and she, my headphones are falling off. That's, That's right. how furious I am. My friend who's very, she's like just the most just human I know. And she's like, I'm going to say something to him. I'm going to do it. And then as he was leaving, the closest I got was that he tried to give me a flyer for a show. And I went, no, thank you. <laughs> and then I was like, was that too rude? Was I too rude? What's wrong with me? Terrible. No, no well, now terrible I'm just person. trying to find a pen so you can write the name down because... Oh, I don't even know if I remember the name. Oh, really? No, I remember the first name, but it's comedy, so there's like ten of that name. Oh, so it'll be a Dave or an Adam (laughs) then. (laughs) Transition. I remember a few years ago, I went to the DFO in Moorabbin. That's the Direct Factory Outlet. Yep, I know a DFO. Oh yeah, I'm a big fan. It was one of the first ones, I believe, back out in Moorabbin. Great. And um, I, I went there with my brother. Mm-hmm. And he's then his two children. They have three now, and um, his wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're pale, um, spotty Irish people. Yes, and she's, as am I. Uh, yes, and she's not as spotty as me. <laughs> and she's um, uh, African. And mm-hmm. uh, so uh, she ran off. Like we got to the DFO, and she's gone. She act- she actually did run off looking for shoes. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, but not all women. Hashtag not all women. She just needed shoes <laughs> that day. Anyway, so she's kind of, she's gone, boom, she's out the door. Yeah. And um, and we were left with the, the kids. So we had one in a, a pram on everything. We're walking around. And my brother said his nose broken. So his, his nose is a little bit different to mine. And mm. I don't think we look particularly alike. Um, we do when we smile. But other than that, I don't think we do. And so I was just walking around with these two very brown children. I was going, oh, Nick, it looks like we've adopted. <laughs> What do you think is worse? Because I've had both these things happen to me. Do you think it's worse if you're with your brother and they think it's your boyfriend, boyfriend. or if you're with your boyfriend and they think it's your brother? <laughs> that Both these things have happened to me before. Wow. I think the second one is worse. I think that's worse. Well, it's much easier to be like, oh, no, this is just my brother, but being like, no. That's my boyfriend. Yeah, because people That's might have awful. seen you displaying public affection. And they would have been like, that go, family oh is close. <laughs> um, I, when I was doing my first show, they took some, uh, there was like photos of me that went into the MX when I was doing the show in Sydney. They'd run in Melbourne and nothing had, you know, people were like, I saw you in MX. And I was like, great. And then this photo ran in the Sydney MX and I got home after my show that night and I had so many Facebook notifications. I was like, what? what the hell? What's going on? I I know this about myself, but a lot of people don't notice this. I look a bit like Jemay. I look a bit like Chris Lilly's high school bitch. Jemay, I do. It's just a fact. It's something about my face. Um, particularly if I'm doing this, if I've got the fringe going on. Um, it's fine. Uh, it's okay. I don't mind. I don't see it personally. That's all right. I also will take Joan Cusack. That's fine. Crooked mouth. That's, That's how fine. I, I love great. Joan Cusack. But in this instance, the Chris Lilly fan page had found this photo and posted it on the internet going, 
oh my god, this girl looks like Jemay. Um, I thought it was very, very, very funny, and it was kind of good for me because all these like actual friends of mine had been like, "That's not Jemay, that's Jillian Cosgrove." You can yeah. see her show, yeah. 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 And I was like, "Yeah, all right." He's got forty thousand likes. That's a lot of publicity. I'll yeah. take it. But then one friend of mine wrote to me, and she was like. Hey, like, I hope you don't feel bad, but Chris Lilly's posted this photo and people are commenting on it and I just wanted to check that you're okay. I was like, I was so fine until you sent me that and you confirmed that it was a bad thing because until then I really didn't mind. What? It's very funny. Oh, people. People. People, people meaning well. People you know? meaning well for other people. My friend James has a theory that the worst thing you can say about someone is she means well. she means well she means it just means you've tried and failed at whatever you're doing she means well not hitting the mark do you do you think that's the worst thing you can say about someone like Like, i mean obviously much like if they said you racist no 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 no, but they they said it to you i want you mint well, you, do you mean if he was saying it about you to somebody else? Yeah, I think if someone well. says to you, like, you, if you're like, oh, I screwed that thing up, and they'd be like, you meant, you meant well. well. That's okay. That's kind of, that's all right. Yeah. But saying about someone behind their back, like, she, she means, I mean, bless her with a little, you know, a little comedy skits. Just a little, she's got her little songs and her little, you know, that's awful. She's trying. Yeah. Transition. Oh, there's John Cheever. <laughs> There he is. Hey, mate. That's a Pulitzer Prize winner. Great. Oh, this is Bullet Park. Okay, that's Bullet me. Park, yeah. And i got to reread it. There's, that's the thing. There's so many books I haven't read and then there's some mm. that I really want to read again. I went to start reading Lord of the Flies again the other day and then I got distracted with something else. Mm-hmm. But um, I read this amazing – I'm obsessed with this um, website, waitbutwhy.com. Do you know Wait But Why? Wait, but why? Mm. Oh, as in wait, but, but why? why? Yes. <laughs> um, and there was this great, they just write just some amazing stuff, very good at kind of breaking down very large concepts into ways that you can understand as a mm. human person. Um, and one of the things is where they chart out the span of an average human life in um, weeks. So there's like a dot for each week mm. and then in, or in years, then weeks, and then in um, days. And so because you can draw dots, so small you can make this small enough that you can see it on a whole thing and this guy goes through and he's like okay so I'm 30 right he's like I'm 30 so let's say I have maybe 60 more years left to live if I'm really lucky very lucky so he kind of dots out how many he's like okay this is how much of my life I've lived this is how much is left and then he goes through um, I was doing that when I was walking down the street the other day (laughs) (laughs) but then he does all these amazing things where he's like and this is what made me think of it uh one of the ones is like he's like okay so I'm a pretty avid reader and he's like I probably read like let's say I read a book every two weeks um no he's no I think he makes it simpler than that anyway he's like I read a book every two weeks so that's how I read this many books in a year so if I live another 60 years I'm probably only going to read 300 more books shit and suddenly going in of all the books that have ever been look at your face isn't this awful it, and things too that he does where he's like okay um uh, let's say I see my parents um I see them maybe five times a year and I see them for sort of um, two days at a time. So I see my parents an average of 10 days a year because they don't live in the same place as me. So I'm going to see my parents this many more times for this many more days. And so he charts out – so he figures out that by the time that you finish – for an average human life, if your parents don't live in the same city or country as you – 
by the time you finish high school, if you go away for college, you've already spent 93% of the time you will spend with your parents. Yeah. Is that not mind-blowing? I told this to my mom. She got really upset. But it just, I mean, you understood. Your mom cry. <laughs> she didn't cry. <laughs> um, I meant well. Um, I'm, I'm just fascinated. I'm reading, this is the thing for this show is that I'm reading a lot of like, big concept stuff and I enjoy it but it also makes me so anxious and then I'm like now turn this into comedy good luck well you know my mum came to the gig last night but it's not my fault she didn't come and say hello I had to find out through Facebook wait did you see her afterwards no she didn't didn't see them at all I didn't see I didn't know they were there oh that is a bit sad my niece and my my sister who lives interstate not even her child as well so a different sister's niece Mm. and my mother all came to the gig and then posted photos of me performing and said, great show. And I went, I didn't know you were there. Why didn't you tell me you were there? And she's just gone, oh, are you too busy to deal with the little people? I went, that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> I didn't see you. What the oh, hell? That is weird. Will you see them like this week though while they're here or something? Maybe that's why oh, they thought there would be lots more time. Because it's Christmas. Yeah. Well, that was part one of my two-part conversation with Gillian Cosgrave. I hope it gave you a lot of inspiration to visit your local library. Doesn't she mean well? Please visit the website www.bangonthestrillers.com or subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a really good rating. Let's finish up with the end of a conversation I cut because I'd like to work again. And seeing as I'm editing it out, I'll also mention that the second person who repeated the gag went way over time. But I'm definitely editing that out. Yeah. <laughs>